Hey guys, thanks for joining us back at the Football Diary podcast once again. We've got a genuinely exciting week of Premier League football to unpack. And I'm not even exaggerating this time, it's been brilliant. And I think we're going to start at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea 2, Tottenham 2. Wow, that had some needle. What a great game. And also handbags on the touchline between the managers. You don't see <laughs> enough really, do you? That's brilliant. We're also going to move on to the Emirates Stadium where Jesus crucified Leicester. They won 4-2. Really impressive there. I'm also probably going to have to dwell on United's dismal, dismal new low. Their 4-0 defeat to Brentford, which was something I didn't want to talk about today. But I'm actually really angry about it. But I'm going to let these guys talk. Doing the majority of that particular game, I think. Um, a new face on the pod as well. Welcome to Chris. Now, we listened to the voices that we were hearing. We need some more balance in the pod. There's too much United, too much anti-Liverpool. Chris is a Liverpool fan, so you've got your balance. Chris, how are you, mate? Welcome to the pod. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I definitely feel like there needs to be the balance. It's going to be different. I'm hoping to uh, I'm hoping to give a different outlook on different games. And uh, I certainly hope to, to add something to the podcast. Well, you'll have plenty to laugh at today. So keep it. <laughs> yes. keep it safe. <laughs> uh, and obviously, Miles is here, my regular. How are you, mate? How's your weekend? You're still raging at Steven Gerrard? We, I think he's got away with it this week because we got a win. Uh, uh, Look, I just want to say I'm glad to have Chris here. He's a very good friend of mine. I still hate Liverpool. I'm still not a big fan of Steven Gerrard, so we'll have fun, I'm sure. Chelsea against Tottenham. What a fantastic game of football. The quality wasn't particularly amazing, I don't think. But I think it's the kind of old-fashioned like snide that you want to see in a football game. And the clash between the managers at the end was just kind of typical of the way this fixture's kind of become now, isn't it? So... I'll start with you, Chris, actually, first of all. Really good game of football for the neutral. I really enjoyed it. Tells us a little bit about both teams' top four aspirations. Chelsea were really unlucky, I think, to only get a draw out of this. Do you feel the same? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think I think Chelsea definitely deserved to win. But um, we've, we've talked about it uh, off-air before, me and Miles in particular. We we, we talked about um, the, 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 the top four, and I think... Tottenham and Chelsea was an interesting one because I did peg Chelsea to be uh, fourth originally and put Tottenham in third. And But I did change my opinion at the end. Uh, I sort of had a, a, a sort of second opinion and I put Chelsea in third. I just thought as a unit, they are still a bit more solid. The reason why I put Tottenham in third in the first place was because of Conte. And uh, I feel like they have made decent business in the summer. But the, uh, the, the quality that Chelsea have is still is still really, really high. And I think Tuchel is a fantastic manager. But Conte, he's a natural winner. I think that proved in the 2-2. In the I think they didn't play their best football, but they still got a result. Chelsea definitely deserved to win that game. Um, but it just proved that Conte, he, he, he knows how to get his players geared up for a big event. And that game's fantastic, as you say, to watch. Yeah, Chelsea definitely had the better of the chances, the possession. And I think, obviously, there was an incident with Christian Romero in the penalty box right at the very end where he clearly pulled Mark Kukurea's hair, which was a pretty pretty low blow, I think. But again, typical of this kind of fixture. Miles, did Chelsea get off with this one quite lightly, do you reckon? Do you reckon there'll be any retrospective action on that? We've seen it in the past, I think, with Marouane Fellaini back in the day. He had his hair pulled in similar circumstances. But how would you feel if you were you Tuchel and Conte now? Who's kind of feeling happy with this result? Conte's got to be happier. I, the only the only slight area I disagree with you on is I don't think Chelsea did deserve to win it because I think they lacked the quality that that would have won them the game in areas. And we we identified that going into the season that they let Lukaku and Werner go and didn't bring someone in down the middle yet. Now they're kind of playing Havertz still as that false nine or letting Sterling move centrally. But actually, it does mean they're missing that clinical edge. And 
when particularly when um, Tuchel changed the system and moved to five at the back and let Reese James go down the wing, they look so much more threatening going forward. And he's putting this cross in. And Havertz is a great player, but isn't that number nine that's going to finish them off in the end? So I don't think Chelsea can say that they deserve to win purely because I still think they're missing quite a lot. I thought we actually saw more why Tottenham will end up finishing above them this season. Because despite not controlling the game, despite not having... Uh, massive amounts of possession or loads of chances. They were clinical and they had the awareness and the wiliness that Conte brings to rile Chelsea up and get the result. You talk about Romero pulling Cucurella's hair. Yeah, it's awful. But it was just enough to distract Chelsea at that corner. It wound them up just enough Mm -hmm. that Kane gets a free header then because they're not concentrating. They're rattled. That foul that Bentancur makes on Havertz Chelsea are still so bothered by that that Jorginho is all complacent and Kante misses out on the ball. So it just, Kante is really getting himself into this Spurs side. So actually, I think they massively deserve the points because it took a lot of character to get themselves back into the game. And that, that's going to really see them through this season. I think a few performances of note as well from both teams. Obviously, Koulibaly had a great game for Chelsea, scored Amazing. A fantastic goal. Yeah. Uh, Kukurea looks like he's, he's looking quite comfortable on that left-hand side mm-hmm. as well for them. Um, Spurs with Richarlison introduced as well. Added a really different dimension. And I think he's... Antonio Conte is kind of bringing the players together that really are a reflection of him and his character. They look like they'd fight for him on the pitch. And Richarlison looks like a nasty piece of work sometimes as well, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. He really does. Uh, But Chris, can you kind of make any summaries of who's going to finish in the top four out of these two now? Is Chelsea going to be above Tottenham, you you reckon? Do you reckon there's any chance of them finishing second? Or is that out of reach? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say second. I still think Liverpool and Man City are, are the two competitors for the title. But I will say, uh, Chelsea, I'd like, you know, based on my prediction, I'd like to think that they still finish above Tottenham. Um, I did put them as third. I still think that, all right, they don't have the quality up front at the moment, but they still have a really solid team. And Kula Bali, as you said, really provided extra quality at the back. Um, and they're, they're a team that's quite notorious for having that anyway. And I think they've really added an extra layer to, mm. to that. So I think I think we'll see how it goes uh, it, throughout the season. I think that lack of quality up front might be their downfall. But I do think I'm going to say Chelsea will finish above Tottenham in third. Okay. The biggest thing that will contribute towards that is the fact that they're still very clearly active in the transfer market, whereas Spurs seem to be pretty much done. There's obviously talk of Fafana going, which would just add that extra dimension and that support to Koulibaly. But also massive talk of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang coming back and being in London again. I'd be really interested to see how that works out. Tuchel knows him really well, but apparently Barca wants 30 million. I don't know. Would you pay 30 million for Aubameyang right now? Barca are desperate, that's why. Yeah. (laughs) And I think Chelsea are as well because they don't have anyone to fill that gap. I don't think he trusts Brozier to be the leading man in that position. Yeah. He's let Lukaku and Werner go, both of whom scored this weekend for their uh, their new clubs as well, which is, well, their old clubs, I suppose you could say. But to be honest, I put Spurs as second. And yeah. I, I, I haven't seen anything yet that makes me change my mind on that. I really think that Conte's conviction showed in this game. And you, you saw Tuchel and Conte obviously have that spat at the end and also during. But Conte still seemed cooler about it all. Tuchel seemed wound up. Conte knew yeah. what he was doing. He had him. He had him in his pocket all game. And I do think he got to him and he got in his head. And we've seen that. We've seen that effect that Conte can have on a, a club. Same way that Mourinho really gets his players to fight for him. 
this Spurs team looks like a different kind of Spurs team. I don't expect a Spursy end to the season from them anymore. I expect a Conte yeah. end, and that's a really big development for them. The depth in their team looks so much different now compared to 12 months ago. And uh, Harry Kane even said that his win is his winner. His equaliser felt like a winner because of how yeah. they came back into the game. And uh, they just didn't give up, did they? Which was, uh, again, testament to the mentality and the lack, lack of spursiness that Conte seems to have. It's been great since he's arrived. It's really interesting as well because he didn't start any of his new signings still, but they all came on and had some sort of impact. Because you say about Richarlison coming on, he didn't do much on the ball when he came on, but what he did do was give the defence something else to focus on and free Harry Kane up a lot more because he was being completely taken out of the game before. Koudabali was outstanding in this game and really marshalled Chelsea's defence. But then all of a sudden, when you've got all of those attacking players to consider at Spurs, it's really hard to balance. And Perisic, it, the quality of his delivery, that will get him so far this season. He's He's got such a good cross on him. And whether that's from open play or set pieces, Tottenham look a new threat now. I I really think they could go far this year. I don't think they'll keep up with City because they just score a ridiculous amount of goals for fun. Yeah. But I, I, I can see Tottenham overtaking Liverpool, I'll be totally honest. So I think we both can see from this result, we could all see actually that Spurs are definitely contenders now. They're very much kind of like they could push for second place at some point during the season whether they maintain it or not we don't know we'll, we'll see how a Conte team kind of endures and lasts the distance uh, and also Chelsea are not as bad as we thought they were I thought they'd probably mm. slip out the top four but they've still got the quality and they're still making some mega signings so clearly mm. they're going to be right up there too so top four race if you can call it that still already at this stage of the season looks tasty and that leads me on to Arsenal really and where they fit into the picture so they beat Leicester quite convincingly 4-2 Leicester looked like, you know, they could have got back into it. And uh, William Saliba and goal gave them a bit of hope. But I think Saliba is one of them players that's really stood out for me so far. He's been great. Gabriel Jesus has been fantastic. And the way he took his first goal in particular was superb. Um, I thought Arsenal really made a decent statement here. Chris, did you see anything from Arsenal that made you think that they could really contend to go higher than maybe just fourth? Absolutely. Uh, the, the top four race this year is going to be so difficult to predict, especially mm. from third, fourth and fifth, perhaps even sixth, if if United can step up. Um, but the, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the, the Arsenal, with Gabriel Jesus, I mean, I didn't think it was that good of a signing, if I'm honest. I, I, I'd never really seen much of him at Man City that made me think, wow, this guy's really good. But he just adds this new element to Arsenal and he fits in. He seems to fit in so well um, uh, with the two goals he scored uh, the other day. And I mean, pre-season, he looked really sharp as well. So it's early days still, but I, I, I can see them I can see them competing with Tottenham for that fourth spot. I think that's I think that's what I'm what I'm going with. Anything that stand out for you with Arsenal's performance, Miles? I mean, obviously, we talked about Saliba, we talked about Jesus. Who else in their teams really looked like they've flown out of the traps at the start of this season? It's hard to pick just one name at the moment. I think Arsenal looked brilliant. I, I agree with Chris that when, when Jesus was signed, I wasn't that necessarily convinced. But he seems to just be thriving off this confidence that he's got from being Arsenal's main man. And that's a really interesting sign for him and how he develops. I also think there's a massive part for Granite Xhaka to play. I was really impressed by him again in this game. And I think... I've, I've I've been watching All or Nothing, and I'm sure a lot of people who watch this will have. And one thing that really stood out to me, and also from an article he wrote in the Players' Tribune last year, is he is a lot more mature and level-headed than I think he gets credit for because of his playing style. Yeah. And he talks in All or Nothing about how even at 28, which he was last season, 
he's one of the mature players in that squad now and he really yeah. has to set an example and lead and actually they all do look up to him and I think his effort on the pitch this weekend was a really good sign he was getting forward from midfield which isn't always something you would accredit Granite Xhaka with and he got his goal from that and even before that he's making runs to the back post and he's dictating mm. the kind of pace of play and I think he's been really essential for them and I think he will be going forward as well but honestly Ramsdale makes me a little bit nervous still and he obviously Vardy kind of that didn't he and took that little I think you can call it a dive to try and win that penalty and that's still I think he needs to just solidify himself he's a very typical aggressive English keeper as we've talked about before but other than that I look at this Arsenal squad and the way that they're playing right now and as long as we don't have an Arteta meltdown priest in the middle of the season which I'm not ruling out after watching the Amazon documentary (laughs) I will say his his mentality confuses me so much i can see why young players really respond well to him because he's a proper arm around the shoulder he can say an inspirational word and has some odd motives whereas i can see why the likes of Aubameyang and Lacazette aren't there anymore because they'll hear him talk and go what is this guy on about so i'm really interested to see how that progresses but as a club right now they do seem to have the most sort of stability and strategy if you look at them chelsea and united so i've got them fourth and i think they will finish above chelsea this year provided they can be consistent. And that's always the thing with Arsenal. Can they keep it up for a whole season? Wow. So you're saying Chelsea will slide out of the top four. That just goes to show yeah. the level of competition, doesn't it? Like between the top five teams, I'm saying the top five now because we'll talk about it later, but that sixth place <laughs> team is so up in the air. Um, it's becoming competitive in that position as well to qualify for Europe, isn't it? But uh, word on Leicester, if you can, Chris, they've had a, an interesting start to the season. There's been sort of panic buttons hit a couple of times about a lack of transfer activity. They've lost their captain. Rough start to the, the season with a, a two-goal lead pegged back by Brentford. So that must have been a shock of confidence to them as well. And then in this game as well, they were kind of taken apart by Arsenal, weren't they? Could have been more than the four goals that they scored. So... How do Leicester analyse going forward from this point? What does Brendan Rodgers need from this point on? Well, if it wasn't for Brendan Rodgers being the manager, I would genuinely have serious concerns for them. Uh, I, like you say, in the, in the transfer window, they've not done a whole lot. They've lost Kasper Michael. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of activity going on. And at the end of last season, it just looks so bad. It looks so poor. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, I've tipped them to finish in the bottom half this season. I do think Brendan Rodgers will go um, mm. if, if, if things don't change. But I do have a lot of respect for Brendan Rodgers. Obviously, I was one of the uh, only Liverpool fans, I think, that didn't want him to leave. <laughs> and uh, now I regret that instantly after what's happened uh, since then. But Brendan Rodgers is a fantastic coach, but I just don't think there's a lot happening at Leicester. And I just don't no. see it going up. I don't see it going, getting any better. Uh, I, I do predict them to finish in the bottom half. Okay. Is, well, is Brendan Rodgers a fantastic coach? That's all I would say. I, if you notice with Brendan Rodgers has short bursts of success where his first season or first season and a half are quite impactful and then obviously he left Celtic at Liverpool he started well and then it really tailed off at Leicester he started well and had him challenging for fourth and now he's tailing off he looks like he doesn't really want to be there and I, I, mm. I don't really know what his level is anymore if he leaves Leicester he doesn't get a top eight job in my opinion whereas if he'd left Leicester 12 months ago he could have been looking at he was linked with the United job not that long ago but I I'm not convinced he, he is that good because he doesn't seem to be able to arrest a slide. He can set things up and as soon as it starts yeah. going wrong, I think he's out of ideas. I see what you mean, but I think he's got to a point now where in his career and his trajectory of his career, it was the same at Celtic where he felt like he could take him only so far. 
win only so much and then it became a case of the next step is to kick on in Europe for Celtic and they just have didn't have the funds for him to do that so it's just rinse and repeat every season dominating in in Scotland with Leicester he's won the FA Cup you know that's the pinnacle for Leicester Mm -hmm. right now after winning the Premier League that's the best they Mm -hmm. can do the cusp of the top four a couple of times but he needs that investment to take into the next level he's not going to get that until he sells it he does not want to go down that route where he's selling his best players to kind of try and get to that next level. It's kind of counterproductive. So that's, whether this matches his ambitions is another thing. That's so true. And it's such a problem for Leicester that really, if they want to bring in big money for someone like Fafana to go back into the market, they're not yeah. going to get anyone as good as Fafana. So it's almost counterproductive. They've got Fafana, Madison, Barnes, all kind of wanted by other clubs. Tielemans yeah. looks like he's going to go. And now there's talk of Vardy going to United as well. And they've lost Schmeichel and Pereira's injured for as long as he is. So all of a sudden, that Leicester squad is bare bones yeah. and very championship quality. We said that last week, and they, yeah. I think they showed it again this week, that really, uh, short of Madison, if Madison goes, I'd be so worried about Leicester. I absolutely. Yeah. I, I, they, I, I think I had them 15th. And if they lose the players that I'm expecting them to lose and don't bring anyone in, they'll enter the relegation conversation by the end of the season. I don't think they will because they're not desperate for cash. I just think they can't take any other players into the team without losing somebody, some marquee name. But how many marquee names can they afford to lose and how many will be picked off? How many are seeing the end of this cycle and going, I need to get out of Leicester now while I'm still young? Probably quite a few of them. That's the worry. The biggest problem is, you're right, they don't need the cash necessarily as a club, but they need the cash to be able to spend. And also, the lack of ambition they're showing right now and the fact that they're not kicking on from where they're at, their big players are going to think, I'm better off elsewhere. Fafana will have serious aspirations of getting into the France squad. Barnes and Madison will have serious aspirations of getting into the England squad. Are they going to be able to do that at an underachieving Leicester? No, they they definitely won't. So it will come to a point a bit like Maguire, where, all right, they didn't want to lose Maguire, but every player has their price. And if he wants to go, they're going to have to sell him. We've seen Leicester do that with Mares, Drinkwater, Kante, Maguire, obviously. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them do it again. And I think this time, there might be more of a drive from the players to get out than there has been before because they, they don't look like they've got that feel-good factor that they had a couple of years ago. Arguably right, yeah. It's interesting times for Leicester and whatever happens in the next couple of weeks of the transfer window could shape whatever happens to them for the rest of the season, really, couldn't it? Yeah. And the problem I think they've had is they've been linked with some players that are just as bad as some of the recent signings they've had. You know, their, their mm. recruitment record in recent years has been really poor. You know, especially mm. defensively, they're still not working out how to defend from set pieces, which is, you know, that's <laughs> elementary stuff, really, isn't it? But again, um, conceded this weekend, didn't they, from a corner? Yeah. And it doesn't same feel like a shock when they do either. It's <laughs> just, you know, same old Leicester. So, yeah, something mm. needs to change, something needs to be addressed. But that's in the transfer market with the manager. Who knows? Probably both, but we'll see. Mm. Another top four element that we need to consider is the top two that we've both we've all predicted, really, which is City and Liverpool. Liverpool aren't playing until tonight, Monday, as we record. Uh, but City ran to a 4-0 routine victory over Bournemouth. They, they've got such a huge aggregate score over Bournemouth since they've played them <laughs> in the Premier League. It's unreal. And Erling Haaland playing in um, another different role again, a different dimension to their team as they go forward. I think he had like eight or nine touches of the ball and that was it. I remember Lukaku being slated for a similar thing last season only having like seven touches in his own box or something like that. And yet Haaland's being lauded for it. So yeah, different, different uh, outlook there for both players. Uh, you so have to though. You do, yeah. He has to, he has to get credit because eight touches, one of them was an assist. And second of all, Bournemouth clearly turned up to defend against Haaland and look at the space that opens up for Foden and De Bruyne. It's, it's great. It works. 
they are such a dangerous team and it doesn't matter who they yeah. play. And it's good to see Gundogan as captain as well. I think he got voted by his fellow players as, as the captain, which was a great call. So, yeah, City mm. looking ominously organised, which is, you know, just their yeah. hallmark lately, isn't it? Uh, mm. I was going to say Southampton as well pulled back from a 2-0 deficit against Leeds to draw 2 all, which was uh, a bit of respite for Ralph Hasenhutl. That was a really good comeback from them as well. Uh, I'm going to finally now confront the United issue, the elephant in the room for me. <laughs> I, I say that with a heavy heart because it's not nice to talk about United when they're doing so poorly. And I know you guys are rubbing your hands with glee, but how low can United go now? Every time we talk about the next crisis they've kind of delved into, you think it can't get any worse than this. But they're bottom of the Premier League, and justifiably so, dropping down to 4-0 within 35 minutes was just an absolute car crash. So, so many layers to unpack with this one, guys. So help me out. Try and sort of make some kind of sense out of it. Try and give me some hope if you can. It's probably going to be a big <laughs> ask. Uh, but Chris, I'll start with you. On the game, in the game itself, on the day itself, what did Eric Ten Hag do wrong? Because he's not completely blameless in all of this. So what did he do to set up incorrectly against this Brentford team? For all they did well, he must have done something wrong with his team selection, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the, the key element, and uh, we'll touch upon Brentford after, I, I imagine, but the key element was the high press of Brentford. It was uh, incredibly well executed. And uh, Eric Ten Hag's natural game is to play a possession-based football. And you saw it last week against Brighton. Diff, slightly different setup against uh, against Brentford. But the same sort of sort of outcome. There was there was just no confidence on the ball, uh, especially at the back. I mean, there's not really much confidence in that side anyway. And I think playing no. a high possession game, especially playing from out the back, you saw it with the second goal. The main issue, obviously, is is, is with Maguire with the lack of confidence. De Gea has been holding up this team for such a long time, um, and he made a couple of vital errors, which which invited Brentford to um, just dominate the game. Um, and and that first goal was was a real shocker from from De Gea, someone who, when you look at the team, you think that that's one of the only saving graces of that team. Ronaldo looking just a shadow of himself, uh, really really moody on the pitch, not engaging at all by the looks of it in in the way that they play, getting frustrated when any missed pass, no chances really coming his way. You can see in the second half he was getting the ball and just trying to shoot it. As soon as he had it, like it, it, it was just really poor around, and I think it's all to do with the lack of confidence. It's been a bit of a shock for me to see that kind of half of football, and I've seen halves like this before. When we played Liverpool both times last season, it was just the car crash again. But this feels like a new low. And I was saying to you, Miles, wasn't I? Before we even started recording, it felt like one of those games where you go, "What the hell happened there?" Like Bayern beating Barca eight two last season, just kind of like. Where did that come from? You know, it felt that much of a, a sucker punch to them. I mean, <sighs> Tyrell Molassier over Luke Shaw would have been more suitable, I think. So we got that wrong for me. Ericsson playing in a deep line role. How strange was that? Lissandro Martinez is just not physical enough to deal with the threat of Brentford's attackers from set pieces, especially. They were definitely not equipped to play against the press. For so much that Brentford got right, Ten Hag has got to take a chunk of blame, surely. I think the biggest thing is he's trying to implement his philosophy on a group of players that aren't his players yet. It's obviously, it's really early for this big change in system. If you think about it, the majority of that squad have been used to playing Solskjaer's counter-attacking play for the last couple of years. And Ten Hag's, it's such a change of pace. And so far, he's brought in three players. I think you can argue that 
Martinez wasn't his first choice. He wanted Timber first and yeah. couldn't get him, so got Martinez instead. Malasia has not been brought in to be first choice left back yet. So that's not really something that's going to strengthen the first 11 and implement his style too early. And Ericsson is not the player that he will want in that number six or eight role. He wants him. He can add something to the squad. But again, clearly not the first choice for Ten Hag. So trying to implement such a change in style to a group of players that, I'll be totally honest, are not capable of playing that style of football is no. always going to be a problem. And one of the biggest problems with that is Chris talked about how De Gea has, has held United up for so long. That's completely true. But he is not the right goalkeeper for this style of play. And you no. saw that here. The first one is a mistake. You can hold your hands up and go, oh, it's unfortunate. It happens. Move past it. The second one is indicative of the fact that De Gea is not a good distributor of the ball. He should never have passed that ball to Ericsson. And all of a sudden, you are now coming off the back of not one mistake, but two. And when Chris talks about confidence being knocked, you then take yourself even further down in 90 minutes. And I said to you, Mike, there's not one player that's rallying them. Maguire, as a captain, isn't going and picking De Gea up off the floor and going, we move on. Come on, next one. Ronaldo is not doing that with his team. Going, come on, you've missed that pass, but I'm making this run next time. Let's go next time. We've got this. Instead, they look around at each other like, well, it was your fault this time. It was probably my fault last time. It can be his fault next time. They don't look like they've got any plan or strategy. Nice. It is going to take huge investment this summer. It will take massive investment this summer to turn this squad around. But the problem is you essentially have to rebuild an entire culture, not just a club, a culture. And mm. without selling every player in this squad, that's impossible. You keep talking about the, the quality of these players and there are some players on there that on paper should be challenging for the title they should be yeah. but then there are other players that i look at and think they're not even premier league quality let alone top four we talked about it before scott mctominay was an academy graduate he's not someone that united have spent 80 million on to bring in to play in the center midfield so mm. he was always going to have a ceiling it's not a surprise that he's not the best midfielder in the premier league in fact i think he'd struggle to get into most other premier league sides but united yeah. are playing in 40 games a season that yeah, has sure. to be identified and tackled and Brentford are the exact opposite to United right now. A well-drilled mm -hmm. side with a plan, a coach that's had time to build a philosophy, a good atmosphere around the club. Fans are really on side. There's a strong culture and an identity and a style of play. And it showed this week. They were fantastic. Yeah. That leads me on to, to praise for Brentford, actually, Chris. If you could kind of chime in on what Thomas Frank did well, because I think with every game that passes for Brentford, he seems to sort of show how much of a great coach he is tactically, how much of a great man-manager he is, because I'd want to play for him. He's such a positive mm. guy, isn't he? He's such a, an energy on the touchline. And, and in all of his interviews, he's just glowing with praise for the fans, for, for the team. So Brentford seem in a really good place at the minute. And to think that they flirted with relegation briefly last season, that, this was such a statement for them, wasn't it? They're competing for more than just avoiding the drop now. This is a team that is in the Premier League for the long haul, surely, isn't it? Absolutely. I think the, uh, the the style of that play, the high press, uh, it's quite similar in a way to Jurgen Klopp's style. And I think him as a manager, they can draw similarities. So I definitely have a, a, a lot of respect for him. Uh, especially yeah. the, the way that they've uh, the way that they conduct themselves the way that they played against united they just they they played on the lack of confidence of united and they just tore them apart very similar to yeah. the uh, sorry to bring it up the uh, the five nil drubbing uh, at, at old trafford that liverpool <laughs> you're not sorry dished out. <laughs> that liverpool not dished sorry out last season. it was it was less 
about how we, we played on the fact that Man United were lacking the confidence. And it, it's similar that Brentford did as well. And that those four quick goals in the first half, it, it killed the game. And I knew in the second half that it would drop off. There'd be a drop of pace from Brentford. And there was a bit. And United did open uh, have a few more chances. But that's absolutely fine. Give the players a bit of a rest. They've already won the game. And it, it, it just it, it played out exactly how I thought it was going to play out. It was a similar way that Liverpool did it against United last season. Let the second half just flow. Let it just play. We've won the game. Call it, call it as it is. But Thomas Frank is a fantastic manager as well, I think. Uh, like I said, I think... I think at the start of the season, I wasn't sure how Brentford would go. It's that second season. Uh, yeah. you, you never, you never really quite know what's going to go on. So I did put them in the bottom half. I even think I might put them close to the relegation, if not in the relegation zone. But you just don't know what's going to happen in this second season. But to start the way that they have, and that game's going to give them a world of confidence. I think, like you said, Chris, great point about how they knew what a press would do to United, and every time they've been tested with a high press against their attempt to play from the back. They've just kind of been like rabbits in the headlights, United, haven't they, Miles? It's been an approach that has been tried before by Ralph Ranić. Again, mm. similar results. He's trying to implement it now. Clearly hasn't got the players to do that. I feel for someone like De Gea because he genuinely cares. But what do they need now, do you think? Which positions are priority to make this system work? It's a great question. To be honest, what the, the first of all, what they need is just one really big result. If somehow they turn Liverpool over or got even a narrow win, that would do the world a good from. It won't happen, of course, because the problem is Thomas Frank watched that Brighton game, saw the troubles that Danny Welbeck gave the defence and thought, we can target that. Ivan Tony is twice the player that Danny Welbeck is right now. So if, if he can do that, what can Mbwemo and Tony do to him? And that's the problem. United are now being targeted. And so they need to get a, a string of results together. Now, they've got Liverpool next they will be absolutely demolished in that game if they're not careful. Then after that, they have Southampton and I think they've got Crystal Palace. They've got fixtures that United should be taking points from. Mm. But I think the fact that Brentford have won 4-0 here and it's not the first thing we're talking about on this show shows us where United are right now. That It's not actually that big a surprise. So they have to address it. There's time in the window. They need... Adrian Rabiot will come in and will improve them. He's not... not the best midfielder I've ever seen, but he will improve them. He can do a different job for United. His, a lot of people are comparing his stats to McTominay and Fred, but he is a different sort of player in a different league. And I do think that he will adapt well to the Premier League, even yeah. whether his character does or not. I think that's one thing. They definitely need to look at their system. If you're going to play Lissandra Martinez, it's got to be a back five. I, I, I can't see how you have a centre-back like that in a back two in the Premier League, particularly next to Maguire. If you can get Maguire... Varane and him together, that could be really successful. Yeah. Because Maguire is, I actually think Maguire is better in a back three as well. Mm. Martinez is a very good ball playing centre back. So you need someone with a physicality like Varane and the pace of Varane to cover for him. That would be the next thing I would do. I still think they've got to identify some players in attack. Apparently they're now being linked with Jamie Vardy. There's talk that they're going to get back in for Anthony, which would be an amazing signing, but I don't think will happen. There has to be a lot done in this window. I also think they really need to get rid of some players. Yeah. Because to be honest, as much as the fans might appreciate homegrown players and stuff, McTominay needs to get out of there. For his own career, he needs to leave. I, I wouldn't stay. I wouldn't be surprised to see Rashford go. If PSG are interested, United should be snapping their hand off right now yeah. and get, get the money while you can. 
and invest it on someone like Anthony because that would that would be an improvement. Sadly, I love Rashford. Yeah. I love what he's done, but he's not there right now. He's not at that level. There are I things think, United yeah. can do. The only thing I would say, and I said it to you at this, before we were recording, the only caveat I would say is Arsenal lost their first three games last season without scoring a goal and were bottom of the league, and we were going. Oh, they could go yeah. get relegated. They looked awful. And they got an infrastructure. They did have a plan and Arteta pulled something through. Now, Ten Hag is a good manager. I don't doubt that. They've got some really good young players at United that I think he might start trusting at this rate. So I don't doubt that they could just look at Arsenal as almost an inspiration, which Arsenal fans would love, (laughs) and try and pull themselves out of it. Get, Get through this Liverpool game. Finish the transfer market strongly. I think they need at least three more to just kind of get themselves level again. And then we'll see. But it's it's yeah. early days in a in a time when you're trying to change philosophy, trying to change a complete playing style, it's it's gonna be hard. And there are obviously narratives around in the background that are causing distractions, Maguire and Ronaldo being the main two. I think, yeah, with Arsenal, they sold Aubameyang because he just didn't get on with Arteta at all with his style. And mm. the difference and the the, the the kind of vibe that left in the changing room was so much more different and positive. I think it might be similar if Ronaldo goes as well. Um, Maybe. There's nowhere he can go. And uh, I think it's kind of a catch-22 at the moment. You kind of need him to play, but you also don't mm. need disruption in the, in the dressing room. So it's a strange one. But either way, I think for United fans, we know that the deepest rooted problems are at board level. And there's nothing going to change there for the foreseeable. I can honestly see it getting worse before it gets better. And I know you're optimistic saying, look at Arsenal last season. But I think our problems are a lot more deep-rooted than Arsenal's. We haven't got mm. a board that's even set up to kind of recruit correctly. And um, mm. whether, we'll see how we get on in the transfer market, first of all, whether we are backed and, and the players he needs and the, fix, the, the positions he needs to fill are actually filled with the right personnel. But also what kind of response the team has in the next game against Liverpool. We can't get battered. If we can grind out a draw, that would be such a result. So mm-hmm. whatever character we display in that game, I think will really set the tone for, for the next few because um, they're winnable, like you say. So we'll see how we go. We can't. I don't want to exhaust United too much because we could literally talk about them for another 10, 20 minutes, couldn't we? Just quickly worth saying, though, if you do want to see more about it, I thought you shared a really good thread on Twitter the other day on our Twitter Mike yeah. shared a thread of, of what was wrong with Man United. So you should go and have a look at that, definitely. Yeah, I do. Um, it's kind of a glimpse into how not, most United fans are feeling as well, to be fair. So yeah, <laughs> have a look at that. Uh, moving on to a team that is so happy to be in the Premier League. And I think as a neutral, people are so happy to see Forrest back in the Premier League. Um, their victory, um, 1-0 at the City Ground, Premier League football at the City Ground for the first time in 23 years, was a brilliant sight as well. It's one of those stadiums we haven't seen play Premier League football for so long. And it feels like a flashback to the 90s to see them back there in in a really nice, nostalgic way. But Steve Cooper is such a great coach as well. I think there's a lot Mm. of goodwill for Forrest at the moment. They signed, what, 15 players and counting now, it seems. So many kind of question marks against whether that's going to work against them or not. But I think you can see it's purely out of necessity. Only three of that Mm. starting 11 were in the playoff final just a few months ago. So the change is needed. And so far, it's working well. You know, I think it's testament to Cooper as a coach that he's got them playing as well as he has. And to beat a West Ham team like this 1-0, Chris, I'll start with you first of all. Super impressive. What a great game of football. It was. It was a really good game. And I think the 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 not, the not team really relied on the crowd. I mean, you could feel... I was watching it on my phone and I could feel the phone buzzing, just hearing yeah. the crowd. It was obviously <laughs> a fantastic atmosphere. And obviously, like you say... 
really glad that they're back in the Premier League, a, a fallen giant, if you will, uh, back in back in where they belong, if, if if you will. It's weird because when you see a team make so many signings, you've seen it before. Fulham, prime example, made a load of signings, rock bottom, awful. Uh, no, jet, they didn't gel at all. Went straight back down. If I'm honest, I could kind of see it happening here as well. Um, I think they've made some really good business. I do. Um, but I think if they don't gel quickly enough, eventually the, the the buzz of being back in the Premier League will eventually diminish and they will just, you know, play be a normal standard Premier League team. So they won't rely on that so much. And, you know, you could see them drop off the pace a little bit. I don't think they'll have an amazing season, but I don't think they'll go down. Uh, but it's, it's, it's like I say, it's really great to see them back in the Premier League. Wow, talk about delivering a killer blow of a comment and then trying to raise it back up again. God, I thought Forest were great value for their weird miles. I thought some of their players looked like they belonged in the Premier League. Their midfield actually was really impressive considering they barely played together. What did you make of them? Any standout players you've seen from their new crop? And um, Dean Henderson as, as well, worth a mention, especially with United's goalkeeping problems. He had a pretty good game as well. You took my joke from me. I was going to say that it was one real good prospect that I'd be looking at if I was a big club. Yeah, Dean Henderson was outstanding. He, he yeah. controlled the game for, for Forrest. And at times when they were really riding their luck and kind of trying to just weather the storm against West Ham, Henderson was, was the rock that they needed. Obviously, the penalty save makes a big de- difference. I'm sure Declan Rice won't want to see that one again. But mm. to be honest, West Ham probably should have taken something from the game. I thought Ben Rama was absolutely outstanding. But he was. Forrest did what they needed to do. And I loved at the end of the game, just the kind of <laughs> the mentality that they had to just see it out. They've obviously got that multi-ball system in now where there's balls on little plinths ready to throw in. Yeah. And at one point, the ball went out for a throw and Brennan Johnson ran up to the ball on the plinth and booted that into the crowd as well <laughs> to get yellow. And then I can't think of the other Forest player was that as Sufa went to take a throw and he was on the floor and he just grabbed his ankle and yanked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> brilliant. Exactly. And that's what Forest will need this year. I, I, I agree with Chris to an extent that when you have that much of a turnover, it can be a risk that you kind of implode. So three yeah. points are, are really precious to them. So they'll they'll do whatever they can. Some of their business is fantastic. Some of them are more questionable. Emmanuel Dennis looks like a really good sign-in, although that is now the third striker they've got. And it looks like they're going to sign Neil Mopai today, which is such a weird, weird sign-in to me. 15 million for a guy who's not really scored Premier League goals. Brighton don't really have any other strikers. And Forrest already have three very good strikers. Yeah, I, I know they have to do business because their squad's quite depleted. But actually, if you look at Forrest over the last few years, this is quite a common pattern with them where they have massive turnover in both the playing staff and the coaching staff. So that would be the worry for me, that the owner might get a bit trigger-happy halfway through the season. If if Forrest aren't looking like they're mid-table and might even be flirting just above the bottom, as good a coach as Cooper is. I, I, Forrest have had a new manager every year for, what, 11 years now or something like that? It's, it's, if you look at the amount of managers they've had in the last 20 years, it's frightening. So they yeah. need some stability. They're not going to have that in the playing squad this year, and understandably so. So everything else has to be stable. But getting that winning feeling back at the city ground, yeah. that will help them massively. Yeah, massive three points. Can we read anything, mm. Chris, do you reckon, into West Ham start to the season? Because they're only not bottom of the table by virtue of United's terrible goal difference. <laughs> but should, should they be panicking? I mean, that's not a great start for them, really, is it? No, I, I don't think they should be panicking, to be fair. It depends what their ambitions are. If, if they're looking towards European football again, then perhaps um, they should be maybe panicking a little bit. But as Miles said, Ben Rama played fantastic. Uh, it's not like they played awful against Knox yeah. Forest. Um, so I, 
I'm, I wouldn't worry too much. I think still think they'll finish in the top half. Whether they get the European football that they want is another thing. But David Moyes has really uh, stamped his authority on this team, very similar to how he was at Everton, and just built this built this core that uh, of consistency, definitely. if you will. And I, I think he, he's definitely put his stamp on it. So I don't think they need to worry too much yet. <laughs> It's too early. You got to bear in mind that their first game was City. That was always going to be hard. And then this game, they 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 should have won this game. It was it was luck that stopped them from winning this game. If we're totally honest, the penalty should have got in. They had a disallowed goal that was. I don't know. How I feel about that one. Forrest maybe could have had a red card as well for the penalty. That would have changed things. It's, I, it was very fine margins that stopped West Ham taking three points here. I wouldn't worry about it too much. I think they hit very the crossbar much. twice as well, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. It's, and yeah, the ball was very much. close to going in both times. But it was a shame, and really. But yeah, they've still got Skamaka to bed in properly as well. So when he hits the ground, I think that'll be that'll be a really good sign for them. Very true, yeah. He's not started a game yet, has he? So, yeah, watch, nice. watch this space. But uh, really congested and really competitive around sort of the middle of the Premier League table as well, it feels like. A couple of <laughs> uh, games of note which haven't made a dent in it. Wolves nil, Fulham nil, Mitrovic missing a penalty after his highs of the other week. And Brighton and Newcastle was nil-nil as well. Two kind of teams at a very similar level, it feels like, in the minute. But <laughs> we're going to finish on... Um, your boy, Steven Gerrard. Um, Gerrard, Lampard, kind of clash for the first time in the dugout. What did you make of it, Miles? Are you happier with what you've seen from Villa this time around? I'm happier with what I've seen from Villa, definitely. Mings coming back into the side made such a difference. He was excellent in this game. Saved Villa a couple of times. Was very commanding, good on the ball. Exactly what you'd expect of Tyrone Mings. And he's come back at a very good time because now typically... Diego Carlos is out for six months, which is just heartbreaking for him and for Villa fans because he looks quality. Bubakar Kamara, unbelievable. I think he's a fantastic player and is showing already that he's going to really take to the Premier League and, and be fantastic for us. So that's encouraging. We were so much better. Ollie Watkins being back in the team, I called for it last week. He made such a difference. Buendia came on for Coutinho and was outstanding, changed the game. As soon as he came on, we were talking in the group chat, weren't we? And I said immediately, he'll do so much more for us now because he yeah, just, yeah. his energy that he brings, it's, it's lethal. He moves across the forward line to pick up the ball and finds pockets of space that are just, it just shows what a, a good football brain he has. And I really want to see him and Coutinho play together because I think they'll activate that in each other. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts the next game. I'm, I'm happier with Villa's performance. It got a bit shaky at the end yeah. and Everton woke up in the last 10 minutes. I will say they are terrible and they will get relegated this year. They were they were absolutely woeful in this game. And, yeah. and Lampard just got it completely wrong. I understand that Calvert-Lewin's not fit and you haven't been able to sign a number nine. Rondam isn't a world-class footballer by any stretch of the imagination. But when he's on the bench and you don't have a striker playing, that it's just ridiculous. As soon as he came on, he caused Villa problems because you. it's not about what he does with the ball, but it's how he activates the good players they've got. Gordon came into the game so much more once Rondon was able to hold the ball up and lay him into, into play. So right. Lampard got it wrong, which doesn't surprise me because he's, he's not a good football manager. Gerard gets a bit of a free pass this week because he got a win, but it annoys me how much the media love him. I, I, even though he's at my club, 
I agree. All the talk on Sky Sports was, oh, Gerard's got his decision right to bring Tyrone Mings back in the team. No, he hasn't. He just shows that he got it wrong last week, leaving him out. You can't think, do that. It's I think if you speak to most Villa fans as well, it's not just you. I think the feeling amongst Villa fans is Tyrone Mings is kind of a really revered person, isn't he? As an individual, he can't put a foot wrong and he's a great person yeah. to have around the squad. So to see him kind of slighted in such a way and made an example of almost, is yeah. a bit... It's not the right call, is it? And he responded to it amazingly, not just in the media, but the way he played in this game. And I have to say, while we're on that topic, Graham Souness writing an article saying that Tyrone Mings has a lot to say for someone who's never achieved anything in football. The guy's a joke. I don't understand why he's he's still featured anywhere. He had those ridiculous and ludicrous comments after the Chelsea game going, oh, it's a man's game and this is what men want to see on the pitch. Get get him out. Retire him now because he, oh, he's pathetic. Cool. And again, he wants to support his mate Gerard and go, oh, yeah, Gerard's doing the right thing. And it, <laughs> it's not a surprise to me that he doesn't like Mings having a comment. He was exactly the same with Paul Pogba. He's picking yeah. Mings as his new target now. Look, we we all know the connection that, that Sunes is making. He doesn't like young black footballers having an opinion in the game. Instead, he wants to support his old mates. And I think it, it is a joke that he gets any publicity. He needs to be removed from Sky Sports. And if they don't have the common sense to look at his comments at the weekend and either at least take him off for a little while, give yeah. him some training or remove him permanently, then they're getting it wrong as well. Because I think the guy's an absolute clown. Yeah, well, they did well, it's, it's, years it's, ago. They did the same with Keys, didn't they, and Gray? Exactly. They were the, the same kind of vein, really. But yeah, Chris, your it's take a, on it. It's a shame as a Liverpool fan, really, to you know, to hear a, a sort of almost a legend of the club to yeah. have these comments. I mean, I, I turned it off after the after the Chelsea Tottenham game. I actually turned it off after he kept talking about. He said it so mm, many me times. Too. It's a man's game. Mm. Yeah. There was a woman sat right next to him as well, a, a professional yeah. who has achieved a lot in football. Exactly, exactly. That's what I mean. And it's, it's it's embarrassing. It was so cringy. And it, it and the comments about Tyra Mings, I did read that article and, and, and have a very similar opinion, to be honest. It, 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 he he's not he's not fit for the air anymore. He's old fashioned and it definitely yeah, I agree with that entirely. Yeah. Away from that though, surely we have to talk about two people that were great on air. And did we see Jamie Redknapp and Gary Neville look like they were going to oh, start as well? That, that was, was brilliant. Look at me when I'm talking to you. It's literally like a school teacher to a school, to a kid. It was quite oh, interesting. Definitely said that to the kids at school. <laughs> definitely, it was brilliant. Well, them two, I think, are probably the future of Sky, that kind of generation. I think anyone from Sue yeah. Ness's generation before just doesn't seem like they fit in with the modern game now. And to talk about. And being a man's game on a year when England women are European champions is just exactly. another level and, of and respect, it, isn't it? Rightfully so. There is a real emphasis on encouraging people to attend the Women's Super League this year and really support the game. So we can see that growth in it that the Premier League had when that got its commercial kind of injection. Yeah. Why are you then making those comments on, on, in a live broadcast? Yeah. Karen Carney dealt with it so well by A, not slapping him, but B, also yeah. just looking into the camera like, <laughs> This idiot. It was brilliant. I, I'm not her biggest fan. She's a blues legend, I'm, I'm, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think she she's more the direction I would rather see Sky Sports go in than Graham sooner. Guy's an idiot. On that note, to wrap up, I'm going to pick my hero, villain, and goal of the week. If that's all right with you guys, see what you think. So Excited. hero of the week, it's not Karen Carney, um, although it probably should be. <laughs> um, my hero of the week is Thomas Frank. I think for the way he sussed out United's weaknesses absolutely played to their maximum to to kind of emphasise them and take advantage of them massively. And 
the way they picked apart United in those first 35 minutes is testament to the way he set that Brentford team up. He's an outstanding mm. coach and um, I think yeah. he reads the game, he reads the opposition so well. So yeah, Thomas Frank, you must start of the week. My villain of the week is um, not not a difficult one, really. Christian Romero for his, his like <laughs> thuggish tug on Mark Cucurella's hair. Like, that's just so unnecessary. And how that's not deemed serious foul play is beyond me. But uh, it wasn't. So the game continued. And Chelsea fans were rightly outraged at that. But yeah, he, for me, is the, the snidey one. Although for the neutral, it is kind of quite funny to see that kind of thing happening. Win by any means necessary. Yeah, it was a bit low, mate. So he's my <laughs> one villain. It, it also made me laugh, obviously, on the back of Sunez's comments about how it's a proper man's game, and then literally, in your, towards the end of the game, there's literally hair pulling going on. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's not the most masculine move, is it? But, yeah, uh... well, yeah, exactly. And my, my goal of the week is it's got to be Gabriel Jesus' first goal against Leicester. Mm. Kind of fell to him at a strange angle. He didn't even manoeuvre himself and took one swing at it to make a sort of a chip dink into the top corner over Danny Ward yeah. and, goal. and I think the composure it took to do that for a player that's kind of been not the star man at City for so long to then suddenly have mm. the spotlight directly on him on his home debut and to do that I think was such a kind of way of seeing how he could be for Arsenal this season and yeah stunning goal like technically it's, it's it was superb so yeah he's he's my goal of the week this week he had such a limited amount of space to do anything and pulled that off it was such a nice finish Brilliant. there were two goals like that this week where the space was small there was one thing a player could do that would be outrageous and they did it the other was was de bruyne's his his was so nice but yeah i think yeah. jesus was was that it was probably the goal of the weekend that's it for today guys chris thank you once again for joining us really good to have that different dimension and different opinion on the pod um hopefully have dave back next week as well that would be interesting to get the four of us but uh, yeah thank you so much once again for for joining us and for tuning in we'll be back next week hopefully these guys will be too please do hit a subscribe and a like if you can on youtube and give us a follow on uh, spotify wherever else you watch your you're listening to your podcasts um but until then thanks guys speak to you soon